A lot of people say I kind of wish you were less cuckoo. <laughs> a pretty, a pretty, a pretty goose for you. And a pretty racing car. <laughs> Everyone wants to do it and not think about the bad feces pudding. What if the world said, nya, 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 like a parrot? Or if a baby got two, uh, two knickknacks up her sleeve and screamed mahalo? I helped a fuzzy dude cut a piece of fruit, and when he was chewing on it, I mushed it and called an ambulance. Oh, white men criticize black people over pagers, and uh, Mexicans will take shoes. You can give me money, and I'll go make the zoo. I've got many fake books, since I'm a leprechaun farmer who's a gambler. Hoo-ha, cherry soda! <laughs> Let's all pour lotion on the person who thinks I'm an ass. We should, we should take their wig off. Bring on the steam croutons. I love dishwashers. And if one of my spoons got left, I'd find the big ape who did it. Dude said, have some brewskis, and I'm freaking, those are awesome, more like it. Free bananas! Recorded live in the USA and covering the whole wide world, this is the Bubble. Genius Bob and Chez Show. Right on! With Bob Seska and Chez Pazienza. 24 days for Christmas shopping, 24 days to build a stocking, 24 days for Christmas shopping, only got 24 more. Oh, Hi there, Christmas is coming. Have you done your shopping? Only 24 days left. We're hoping that your holiday is an extra special jolly day. Morning, Miss Blankenship. How was your surgery? It was a nightmare. The ether and the blindness, and then I got the goggles. Everything's good? I'll tell you, I was blind, and now I see. Good. You need more time. I'm fine, Roger. I'm kidding around here. The following podcast contains harsh language, nudity, graphic violence, adult situations, and a healthy obsession with empirical reality. The Bubble Genius Bob and Chez yeah, Show. It's, it's really quite a miracle that everything is functioning today. That's, a that's what I say every time I go on a date. <laughs> hey, it's the Bubble Genius Bob and Chez Show. I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Chez Pazienza. Brought to you uh, exclusively by BubbleGenius.com. Uh, and so what I meant by that was I, I had a major computer meltdown. And thank God we didn't do a show last week. Otherwise, if we had a, if we had scheduled a show for last Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, I wouldn't have been able to do it because the day before, my main computer, I mean my main desktop computer, just had a complete meltdown. The motherboard just fried, fried all to hell. Did did, uh, did Joshua fire the missiles on Seattle? Uh, yeah. And uh, and so what I had to do, I, I spent. Most of last week and the first part of this week, just troubleshooting and rescuing the hard drives out of my main computer and installing them into the new computer, which isn't really the new computer. It was always, I I always had two desktop computers, one that I would use for day-to-day stuff and the other computer I would use for like video. Yeah, porn. Exactly. You porn and red tube and all that stuff were constantly on on an endless loop on the other computer. Right. You have you have the one that uh, that has the little auto destruct on it, so that uh, it automatically dumps into a vat of acid should the FBI come in. That's right. Or maybe that's just me. <laughs> so I got the so I'm using the uh, the edit computer, the computer I usually use for editing and cartoons and things like that. And 
So what I had to do is I had to recreate my other computer from scratch on this computer. Install all the, the software and put all the fall of our little noises here that we play on the show. And, uh, and get the sound card working. And the sound card on the other computer was screwed up. The one I'm using now was screwed up. And it was a high-pitched whining sound. And I spent another three days troubleshooting that. From I, thought, out- I thought that was just me. <laughs> <laughs> it was like... Uh, you know, it was like Ron Paul. That was screeching. my contribution to the show, right? <laughs> exactly, it's Ron Paul. It's Ron Paul. Hoo ha, cherry soda. <laughs> it's such a great. That is such a great bit I'm of. Telling money. you, I was between that and Herman Cain. The the crap that they that they put into their mouths for for bad lip reading don't sound anywhere near as crazy as the shit they normally say. <laughs> That's right. Now you actually had some insight in terms of the origins of of bad lip reading, which is that. Oh Ron yeah, Paul no, thing. just that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, nothing on the internet is is truly stolen. Not in the in, in the kind of culture that we're living in now. But there's a, uh, I think they're from Canada. A group of guys called Day Job Orchestra. If you go to YouTube and you Google one word Day Job and then Orchestra, they've been doing that for like the past three or four years, doing the sort of bad lip reading stuff. And they've been doing it mostly with like episodes of Star Trek. And it's it's funny as hell. I mean, it really is. They they do a fantastic job on it. Um, and they did something. I think the most recent one they did was uh, they did a really funny one for the the last royal wedding. But obviously, <laughs> the you know the bad lip reading people have sort of taken it to uh, an entirely new level, so to speak, uh, by you know doing it mostly political. And it, it's hysterically funny, of course. I'm sure I'm not alone in this. When you when you first see that, you go. God damn it, why didn't I think to do that? It's such right, a exactly. fantastic idea. What a, a brilliant idea. Yeah. It's like yeah, a- and you and you know, and you wonder about the amount of effort that went into it. Because I mean, I, I remember I used to watch the day job orchestra stuff and I'm like, where do they come up with you know, how do they sit there and say, All right, this word will work right for that and this word works better for that? The the joke with day job orchestra is that they constantly say the word apple juice. Oh, yeah. It's I, I have no idea where how they find <laughs> uh moving mouths to be able to say that word but almost the the running gag is that almost every video they put out they find an excuse to say the word apple juice a pretty a pretty goose for you and a pretty mm-hmm. pretty race car yeah the brewski one is brilliant <laughs> yeah the brewski <laughs> yeah, one is so great because the facial expression exactly matches that it's like it's exactly. one of those sort of i'm half drunk kind of drunk bar guy kind of facial expressions yeah, uh, just uh, just great. And then uh, you know, at the top of the show there too, I played the uh, twenty four days left jingle till uh, till Christmas, and it takes on a new meaning for me uh, because uh, Joy and I are are in the process. We're just scrambling now. We've got exactly thirty days left to find uh, a new place to live because our our lease expires at the end of this month. Uh, way early because we had to cut a deal with the uh, condo board in order to keep our dog. Because your dog can't control its bowels. Yeah. Well, our dogs can control their bowels. That's that's the thing. I mean, as far as they're concerned, we've got quiet, clean dogs. And, but, but they, but they don't allow dogs here, which our landlord didn't know. I mean, this is the long, boring story, but our landlord rented us this apartment, not knowing that the condo board doesn't allow dogs. So we had, you know, we, we moved in on September 1st, and September 3rd, we were told, you can't have your dogs here. So then we negotiated, went back and forth, and they came up with, you know, the end of December, you got to be out by then. So now we're just frantically trying to find a place. I'm just endlessly reloading the, uh, the apartments for rent page on Craigslist 
just trying desperately to find and all you know stumbling onto uh you know scams and you know male prostitutes along the way right yeah which is fun. i'm sure that the the empty home that uh that uh Barack Obama put on his birth certificate where he supposedly grew up is probably open. The vacant house. <laughs> yeah, that's that right. Donald Trump's investigators came across. That's right. Yeah. And you know what? I found the house just uh, just coincidentally. I, I found the uh, the apartment building where the president lived with his grandparents here. It's just a block away, mm. believe it or not. So I did find there is no truth to the birth certificate thing as if you didn't know already. But anyway. I don't know. Trump's investigators are on it. Uh, and, you know, did you hear Along that he's... Along with Joe Arpaio. He was... Uh, Trump was actually saying recently that uh, that if, if no satisfactory candidate is nominated, as far as he's concerned, he's going to jump into the race in the spring. No, he's not. Just, it's... <laughs> you know what? It's not even worth talking about. No, he's not. Of course no, he's not. Of course he's not. No. By the way, I was, I, I was listening to a right-wing radio show last night. Oh, God, not car, again. And it was this guy named Andy Dean... I don't know how this guy, he's like four years old, and he's, and he's got his own nationally syndicated. They're just handing him out. You know, if you want a radio career, all you got to do is pretend to be a wingnut, and they'll give, they just no, give you a shot. No, you're absolutely right. Believe me. I've, you know, it sounds crazy. I've given that a lot of thought. I thought, you know what, it must be like, you know, we, we joke about, uh, uh, about a certain uh, person whose name I won't bring up uh, uh, and his relationship to Andrew Breitbart. But, you know, the funny thing about it is I think that if you – if you, especially if you turned, but even if you just want to sort of go and, and kiss ass with the right a little bit, there just seems to be so much more opportunity over there. Yeah. You know, when it comes to making money and making an actual living off of it, and you're absolutely right. If you're a, a sort of a, a crazy come lately in the in the wing nut uh, right wing wing nut community, you can get yourself a radio show with almost no trouble at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, we were talking about this two weeks ago. David Frum was referring to conservatism or conservatism as a, as a marketing segment. Mm-hmm. And th- that's exactly what it is. I mean, all these guys, they're just, you know what it's like? It's like 1993 having a grunge band in Seattle. You got, <laughs> you got yourself a record contract. If right. You, if every, you wear, every record company on earth is out to sign the next Nirvana. Yeah. If you're unwashed and you wear flannel, record contract. That's the way it was in 1992-93. And if you're a, a right-wing conservative who doesn't choke on his tongue when he speaks, then you've got a radio show. A nationally not just any radio show, a nationally syndicated radio show. All this this guy, Andy Dean last night, who re- literally sounds like he's like 12. Uh, and he is. He's this little kid, but he was the uh, he was one of the runner-ups Run, or runners up on uh, the first season of The Apprentice. Oh, lovely. Of course. And he, he got fired, but then Donald Trump hired him later to be to work for him. So he did go to work for Trump Enterprises and Trump Entertainment. So he's got that pedigree. He's got that he's pedigree. He's got that bullshit artist pedigree. Yeah. But this obviously qualifies him to talk about politics. The fact that he was on Apprentice. And uh, and so, yeah. And last – I got pissed off. I was uh, tweeting this uh, – to to directly to him, but only finding out later that he doesn't bother with Twitter. He just has one of those uh, auto robo feeds, and uh, he was you know he, he in his opening monologue he was trying to conflate deficit reduction and job creation. For some reason, the conservative movement right now is thinking that, and it's all over talk radio. It's not just this guy's show. They believe that deficit reduction will somehow create jobs, or that the two things are you know go hand in hand. 
So there was this uh, super committee, and it failed to come up with, you know, uh, a, a final ruling on, on how exactly uh, or what was going to be cut to meet the, its goals. And so this guy was suggesting that uh, that Barack Obama doesn't have any urgency on job creation because he didn't bother with a super committee. Which is kind of like saying, you know, Barack Obama doesn't wear shoes because, uh, you know, he likes horses. You know, it's just like it, it's like a weird non sequitur connection where it, it's all getting mashed up and, and grouped together and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But then what happens is I get emails and I get tweets from people saying, well, president doesn't care about creating jobs. He's got no sense of ur-. like Chris Christie was saying, he's got no sense of urgency about job creation because he wasn't sticking his hand and hands and meddling with the uh, super committee. I can only imagine if he had, it would have been seen as some sort of, you know, breach socialist of the takeover. Yeah, socialist takeover, some sort of breach of, you know, the Constitution where, you know, the founding fathers obviously had a lot to say about the super committee. But, uh, you know, that's what it would have turned out. That's how it have, people, the, the, the right uh, talk radio would have been all over him for meddling with the super committee and politicizing it and yada, yada, yada. But anyway, so this is that guy, Andy Dean. He was, uh, he was a slip, you know, an apprentice. Did you actually get Donald into Trump it with guy. him? Did you, like, attempt to tweet him or well, something I did. Like that? I started tweeting him, and then I, I went Why to Why would you do that? <laughs> why? What, you know, why Why is the sky blue, Chaz? Uh, you know, you know I just, I mean, I'm drawn. Like a, I'm like a moth to a flame. I'm drawn I think to I, re- I think I, a while back, um, tweeted something to, to Glenn Greenwald. Uh-huh. And I got a response back, and it was typically sanctimonious and, and drama queenie and bitchy and, you know, passive aggressive and everything that the Greenwald's great at. And and the second I did it, I, I, I just felt incredibly dumb doing it <laughs> and, and thought that I deserved any sort of wrath that came down on me for what I had just been stupid enough to allow myself to to do, what, I, what I'd given into, because I'm never going to change his mind. Uh, he's made a career out of out of his views. Uh, I'm not going to change his mind, and all it's going to do is maybe he'll retweet it, or maybe one of his little followers will see it somehow. And sure enough, they'll pounce on me, and they did. Yeah. And you know, and then it turns into I'm trying to have what a legitimate discussion with somebody, which is fucking ridiculous because neither of us is both of us are sort of set in what we believe, and neither of us is going to change his or her mind. Yeah. So it just it turns into trying to have an argument. Oh, 140 characters at a time, and there is no more asinine thing on earth, no bigger waste of time than doing that. And after a while, you know, it just gets to the point, the couple of times I have had debates on Twitter, it just gets to the point where after not too much time, I'm just like, you know what, uh, you get, congratulations, claim victory, I'm done, I'm out. Go, <laughs> right. go, go tell all your friends, seriously, go tell all your friends that, you know, I'm illogical or I'm an asshole or whatever you want to say. I could absolutely care less because I have a life that I want to get back to and speaking to you for even two seconds is taking up more time than I'm willing to give you. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's a healthy way to look at it. And I'm not going to defend what I do by saying that it's healthy. It's, it's definitely, I shouldn't do it. I mean, I, and I really shouldn't respond to conservatives who, you know, send me tweets and send me emails either. But I just, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, I mean, responding, I kind of get, I that I you know responding responding a little bit I total I do I you know you got to kind of defend yours I get it yeah. um, especially since you know the the uh, 
the analogy I've always used when it comes to the blog, and I may even have mentioned it on this show at some point, is uh, you know if you have a blog that's mildly mildly successful, and you know you have a regular readership or whatever, and you voice your opinion. Every once in a while, some asshole strolls into town like it's the Wild West and you are the head gunfighter <laughs> and he wants to challenge, you know, the top dog. Yeah. And, you know, and it just it becomes ridiculous because, you you know, I've had arguments with people before. I'm like two things. First of all, it's not democratic around here. You know, I mean, I, I can basically get rid of your comment if I feel like it. So you're never going to win. Um, but not, you know, I mean, I, I understand the idea of defending yourself, but it's just sort of picking a fight to me. With somebody who you know whose mind you're not going to change. If you know that you have the ability to say, hey, look, you know what, I, I see what you're feeling. And if you have at least the, the, the character, God, the number of characters to be able to say, I see what you're saying. Here's why I disagree with you. You know, and then maybe you find a little bit of common ground. You can go back and forth. But if you know going into it that the person you're picking a fight with is just going to come back and, and start howling at you that you're some insane lib and, uh, you know, and you're going to respond uh, just as negatively. And in the end, neither of you will budge on your opinion. To me, it just it just seems like an, an absolute waste of time. Yeah. Well, what you want to do, though, is, you know, sometimes people don't instantly go, yeah, you know what? You're right, because they want to save face. They don't want to concede visibly in front of their entire Twitter feed and followers and so on right away. So all but so the goal then is to plant a seed in their head that then sprouts into some sort of recognition of objective reality. You know, that's, right. that's the idea. Like this guy, there was a guy, so I, I, the, the story begins, and there was a, a big week for, you know, liberal infighting. There was a lot of that on Twitter this week. And I'll get to oh, some, yeah. sort of the, some things. The, the chait piece was freaking Soma the, yeah. to, uh, to, you know, to the two sides. Yeah, yeah. There was the, the chait piece, and there was... Uh, you know, there was this thing about uh, Homeland Security and Occupy Wall Street, but I would get into all that in a second. Uh, uh -huh. You know, we were – in fact, you dove in. There was a big uh, thing, a, a, a row, whatever you want to call it, between me and Glenn Greenwald over the weekend. And uh, I, don't even, I don't remember what it was all about. But then at, at some point, <laughs> I started to get conflated with this other guy who goes by the, by the handle King Gonad. So it's like, so everything King Gonad tweeted at Glenn Greenwald, I was then also CC'd on it. So Glenn is then thinking that I'm in cahoots with King Gonad. Right. Yeah. I did then, see, <laughs> the only thing I did see out of all that, out of that back and forth was I did see, because a lot of people circulated this, because Greenwald is very sort of uh, well-known, notorious for constantly saying, uh, you know, getting on people for calling names and, and you know, and he, he's supposedly uh, pious and above all that. And I think he sent out a tweet that that called people jingoists, McCarthyites and cultists mm -hmm. like all in one tweet. Oh, yes. And and I'm, I was just it. like, wow, yeah. really? Yeah. Mm, OK. You know, that's I mean, pointing out hypocrisy is not a big deal. I'm 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 used to it from Greenwald, to be very honest. But still, I mean, that was like that. That to me was that was that was really surprising. I was kind of like, wow, did something get under his skin or something? It's rare that he gets that agitated. Yeah. Well, then, of course, all of his followers jump in, too. Of course they do. Right. And, yeah. you know, I forget. I think, in fact, this time uh, Glenn and I resolved it on a on a high note uh, because this guy, King Gonad, said something about the fact that Glenn lives in Brazil. Now, he you know, he he 
uh, spend some time in New York. Right. I saw, I saw what you wrote. By the way, but, the Brazil thing uh, was the thing that he eventually wound up mentioning the cultists and all that crap with because he said the people who attack him for that are – that's – that's what they are. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Because then at that point, I reply because I, you know, I live in Hawaii for God's sake. So you know, I can kind of Glenn and I, even though Hawaii is still in the United States, Glenn and I still have that you know kind of simpatico idea that we we both kind of live off the beaten path in a way. And so I tweeted back to him, and he was you know he joked around about what you know Cokie Roberts said about Hawaii not being real America, blah 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 blah. So we we ended it on a high note. We sort of like you know sort of shook hands and said, yeah, we live in weird places, ha ha ha, and then we moved on. But then you know of course his people jump in, and this you know this one guy, um, Michael Grabawi, is, is what he goes by on Twitter. He was uh, you know he was trying to tell me that uh, President has been increasing uh, military spending. And I said, oh, that's interesting. The, I, I, I didn't know that. Uh, President Obama is actually increasing military spending. Really? And then, you know, <laughs> of course I'm being sarcastic. He's not. Yeah. You know, there were, you know, there's $450 billion was trimmed from the Defense Department budget earlier this year. Another $500 billion in defense cuts begin automatically in 2013 because the super committee didn't come up with anything. So the automatic cuts are going to take place beginning uh, in January of 2013, including $500 billion in defense cuts. So all told, the president's cut nearly a trillion dollars from defense. Don't tell me he's increasing defense spending. And then this guy, so I mean, this is a, an illustration of your point, Chez, about what you're talking about, how sometimes this begins to get counterproductive because no one wants to admit they were wrong. This guy finally says... You know, in response to that, he does not want to admit that these defense cuts are real. He's denying the existence of reality. Yeah. And, and so he says, it's so sad that Obama supporters will cling to what uh, they'll uh, cling to to bolster his liberal cred. And he said, yeah. also, cut military spending? Are you serious? And I yeah, said, yeah, of course like, I'm serious because it's a fact that he is. That's like arguing – it's like when you argue with somebody who is v- like virulently anti-Obama and eventually if, if you really ba- – if they're not particularly bright and you really do back him into a corner, it's always fun to see them go to, well, he wasn't born in this country. Yeah. And I've actually had that happen a couple times and the second it does, it's just great. My, the, my first reaction is, eh, you lose. Thanks. Thanks for playing. That's it. Yeah. You know, the game's over. Right. Well, you know, as all yeah, of that, when you, when you when you start resorting to the encyclopedia of my ass, <laughs> that's when pretty much the argument's done. Well, you know, and as as that was uh, beginning to erupt online, simultaneous uh, to it was the uh, the whole thing with uh, Homeland Security and Occupy Wall Street. Now, this is the you big were really hot on that. This is a huge controversy. Well, I wasn't nearly on it as as much as. Uh, Shock, Caroli, and angry black lady who have sort of formed a triumvirate of uh, pragmatic <laughs> the progressive pa- the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, <laughs> the Powerpuff Girls of uh, pragmatic progressivism. Say that five mm. times fast. Wow, that's uh, impressive. And uh, and so yeah, but they, I mean they were shock isn't a girl, by the way. Uh, he'll hate. Me I, I know. I know. Uh, but uh, for these purposes, we'll say he's a Powerpuff Girl. He's an honorary Powerpuff I, Girl. I only say that because I've been watching a lot of Powerpuff Girls because my, my kid's with me now. So. Oh, that's right. I, I, can't I think angry, I... angry Black Lady would definitely be Buttercup. That I know. <laughs> right. Uh, so let's, let's, so let's start from the beginning on all of this. Uh, there was an article in uh, 
on a website called examiner.com. This is a series of websites owned by, you know, a, a right-wing apparatchik, a big financier on the right. Uh, started up this uh, series of local sites all, all under the banner of examiner.com. Yeah. Okay. So, and a lot of the content is user-generated. So there's like citizen reporters. And one of the citizen reporters for examiner.com in Portland, Oregon, is this guy named Rick Ellis. So Rick Ellis breaks this story about how uh, mayors are consulting in, in sort of conference call settings with members of the Obama administration, specifically Homeland Security, uh, about how to dismantle Occupy Wall Street encampments or Occupy, insert the blank. Uh, and then, uh, so, so this guy publishes this article. This is earlier in November. Uh, a bunch of people pick up on it. Naomi Wolf picks on it. It picks up on it. Naomi Wolf is the author of uh, The End of America, not Naomi Klein, who is the author of Shock Doctrine. Make that clear. Naomi Wolf and Naomi Klein are two different people. We're talking about Naomi Wolf. And not, and not Naomi Campbell, who throws cell phones at people. <laughs> so Naomi Wolf published an article called The Shocking Truth About the Crackdown on Occupy. This is on November 25th. And. Uh, is this hysterical, you know, conspiratorial piece about how, uh, you know, Homeland Security, the Obama administration is uh, in cahoots with all the mayors and they want to destroy Occupy Wall Street by breaking, all, breaking up all the uh, protests and encampments and evicting everybody out of there and beating up kids and pepper spraying people and bloodying them with batons and all sorts of things that are, we're seeing, all these horrible things that police are doing in the breakup of these protests. Which, by the way, were started by a couple of anarchists in their 60s. Like these uh, sort of uh, holdover hippie anarchists. Started the whole Occupy Wall Street movement. Great piece in the New Yorker. Yeah, the, the ad, uh, ad, what are the ad busters? Is that it? Was it ad bu- Yeah, ad busters. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah, that's their magazine. And they're starting phase two, which we'll get to this in a second, because Michael Moore was also pitching their phase two idea, Occupy Wall Street phase two. So, so phase like, two. It's, like a, it's like something out of a Crichton novel. <laughs> it's something out of a... Phase two will begin. Paul Harvey commentary. Phase two? I, I, see, oh, I'm Paul tough. Harvey references. Yes, I'm delivering references from 30 years ago. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Naomi Wolf writes this piece... Uh, essentially laying blame for the breakup of the Wall Street, Occupy Wall Street movement on uh, the president's doorstep. Michael Moore goes on uh, 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 Countdown with Keith Olbermann on the current network and starts repeating all of these things that he's seen, Rick Ellis and Naomi Wolf and everything like that. This is, this is Michael Moore's appearance on Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Had a massive movement this weekend which I think, I don't, I don't know if you've touched on this uh, here on your show, but 
you know, this is being coordinated by the federal government. I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, uh, this right, is, we, is, that is that yours? Because Oakland was rolled up, Albany was rolled up, Portland was rolled up, New York's been rolled and up. all in and, the same way. And poor Gene Kwan, the mayor of yeah. Oakland, who's uh, like a weather vane in a, in a windstorm out there, admitting she was on a conference call yes. with 18 mayors. Yes. This is a plan. Whose plan is it? And who do we assign responsibility to? Well, there was just a, there was just a piece uh, that came out uh, from the uh, Minneapolis Examiner a couple hours ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, where they quote uh, a, a, a justice official in the ju in the Obama Justice Department um, who did not want to be identified, but he said that the federal government has been providing logistical and tactical uh, advice and support. They said yeah. that it's up to the local law enforcement officer or uh, agencies as to as to what you know what to do. But but the, but Homeland Security and the Justice Department uh, have been uh, coordinating the sort of advice and strategy and tactics mm -hmm. of this so that it so because you've seen all the tactics of the police have been the same in every city in terms of okay we're gonna stop right there what's uh what he's basically saying I, I forgot uh, the, There's a the number of the number of of ridiculous assumptions in that one little clip mm hmm it's just staggering. Yeah, it's well, Occam's razor has been thrown in the fucking garbage. And just a brief correction: it's the Minneapolis Examiner dot com. That's where Rick Ellis. Rick Ellis writes for the Minneapolis Examiner dot com, not Portland. Right, and he's and he's quoting the Minneapolis Examiner. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then the funny thing is that the Examiner sounds like like a real newspaper. Mm -hmm. You know, you say that uh, Minneapolis Examiner. Oh dear God! Wow. Well, then I better pay attention. <laughs> Exactly. And so uh, and then Naomi you know, it, Wolf it picks be, up on you know, it. It's, it's, uh, if they did it correctly, it would be, you know, it's the Minneapolis website that's pretty much full of shit. But <laughs> Examiner sounds better. Right. And then uh, Wonkette, I think, also picked up the story. I mean, it was all over the place. Alternate was on it. And uh, and uh, by the way, to Alternate's credit, they actually rolled back or walked back some of the uh, some of the, the conspiratorial angle on the story. Uh, so here's Michael Moore on national television talking about uh, this conflation of, uh, you know, Homeland Security, Justice Department, all the mayors, police departments to disrupt and disband the Occupy Wall Street movement using violence. But if you look at the original reporting by Rick Ellis, hardly any of that is in there. You've got a, an unnamed source. You've got so you've got basically nothing. You've got no name associated with the Justice Department. On November 16th, Rick Ellis posted a follow-up piece, which turns out to be almost an entire and complete retraction of his reporting. On November 16th, Rick Ellis reports that there was, in fact, a conversation between Homeland Security and the police bureau in Portland, Oregon, to break up Occupy Portland. The reason for that is that the Occupy Portland encampment was on federal property. So, of course, the, the Homeland Security, they're going to have jurisdiction. The federal government is going to have jurisdiction over Terry Shrunk Plaza in Portland because it's owned by the federal government. But that is the only confirmed case. Nothing else. And this guy proves it. I mean, this guy says there's no other... Uh, you know, there's no other evidence showing that any other mayors had discussions with uh, uh, Homeland Security or anyone else. And so that's that. But 
Now, this is November 16th that this guy, Rick Ellis, prints this retraction, walking back his original story. Naomi Wolf's column in The Guardian, which is at the centerpiece of all of this, along with Michael Moore, was published on the 25th of November without any mention whatsoever of Rick Ellis's follow-up reporting. None whatsoever. So this is... This is how, in, in the words of uh, Caroli, this is how bullshit transforms magically into fact, right? Right. We're going to talk about this a little more after the break. Boy, big, big news coming up about the show. Speaking of breaks. I can't wait. News. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even, t- we didn't even get to it. We got we to gotta talk about that because we got some, some important stuff to, to reveal about the show. Coming up uh, in the not too distant future. In fact. We're going to be uh, we're going to be doing my sex change live on the air. <laughs> Flying to Sweden tomorrow morning. Oh man, are you going to wait for sweeps for that? We got to wait till sweeps. Wait for <laughs> Good point. Big enough for that. Uh, today's show, as always, is brought to you by Bubble Genius at BubbleGenius.com. Do all of your Christmas shopping. You've got 24 days left to do all of your Christmas shopping at Bubble Genius. Pure products, pure genius. It's the best damn soap in the world. Home, bath, and body products. Here now is their latest commercial. Bernice, how nice to see you. It's been a long time since we had a kibitz. Tessie, what a misha, Gus. I've been schlepping all over town today. We'll take a load off. Sit your took us down and tell. You know, I like to get nice Yiddish gifts for the family and the yeshiva. I like to get something good for the raffle. You're a good woman, Bernice. Irving, he has no idea. You're too good for him. Eh, he tries. Anyway, I went everywhere today. And bupkis. I don't want to kvetch, but where are the nice gifts for us Jews? So I'm the expert. You schlep from store to store. You don't see me first? Here, have a nice glass tea. Thanks, Tessie. Hey, what is this? Soap? You bet, Bernice. Would you like a few bagels to nosh on? Oh, my God. It's a soap bagel. It smells like a bagel. Something a little more traditional, maybe? Ah, a menorah soap. And a star of David. So elegant. What is this magic you're showing me? It's a company called Bubble Genius. Genius is right. What else do they have? Ah, this would clean the schmutz off the nieces and nephews and they'd enjoy it. Abyssal mat soap? And matzo soap. You can break it apart. Good for Bubby. She likes breaking things into small pieces. She still uses one piece of toilet paper when she goes. And these geniuses, they put this all beautiful in a basket. Super Jew, it's called. It's to die for. Perfect for the yeshiva. And you can buy online, so no schlepping. Tessie, I'm so happy I could plot. Bubble genius. I'm verklempt. We got Jew covered. BubbleGenius.com. Such a blessing. Shove Bob and Chez into your pants and haul them around with you wherever you go. Subscribe to the Bob and Chez Show in the podcast section on iTunes. And when you go to Bubble Genius, of course, you can put in your promo code, which is Bob and Chez, B-O-B-A-N-D-C-H-E-Z, and get 15% off all of your bath and body products from Bubble Genius. Your entire order. It's a bargain. Wow. At, it's a bargain at twice the price. They pass the savings along to you. Just wow! I'm not even touching that that commercial. <laughs> I, 
I'm just uh, suddenly the first. <laughs> besides, besides, does soap come in stereo uh, stereotype shape? I'm not sure of that. Uh, the very first thing that came to my mind was the line, the line in Richard Pryor and uh, Gene Wilder in Silver Streak saying, "We'll get past the guards. I just hope we don't see no Muslims." <laughs> Oh, hey, you know what? I wanted to mention, too, uh, you know, I was mentioning this before the break. We got to talk about this before we dive back into uh, uh, politics and all that crap. Is, uh, you know, we're going to be starting a, uh, a a new show, a second show. It's not a new show. It's the same, basically the same show. It's just going to be a second show every week. And this is going to be beginning uh, not this month, not in December. It's, we're going to start it up in January after the holidays. Uh, because, of course, December is is insane with, you know, we'll do a few shows here and then it'll be uh, Christmas break and we won't do a show that week and then maybe not one for New Year's week. So who knows wh- where the shows are going to be throughout yeah, the course of the rest of Yeah, there's too month. much coming up in December. So, you know, you dive back into some consistency in January. So we're going to start a second show. It's going to be called the Bob and Chez After Party, which is, uh, which is your invention. You got a great name <laughs> for that. It's I really... I was struggling with a name. What do we call this extra show? And in, in last, and it, well, it was two weeks ago. Last time we did a show afterwards, we're like, what do we call this thing? And you're like, oh, we should call it Bob and Chez After Party. Bob and Chez Show After Party. Because I think that's a great, great name for the show. Because that's, my, my other one was the Champagne Room. But, uh, the Champagne Room, yeah. <laughs> uh, after Party works fine. So we're going to be talking about like uh, we're going to be talking about sex topics. We're going to be talking about pop culture. We're going to be talking. Still, we're going to talk about politics. We're going to be talking about our uh, personal lives. Just whatever happens, it's going to be. There's going to be profanity all over the place. It's just going to be sort of uh, you know we're just going to kind of do what we do on this show, but just kind of let loose on and and, and it will actually make a uh, there will actually be a, a major difference because this show is actually going to change a little bit which i think we'll get more into probably at some point yeah. down the road it's going to be the same kind of chatter and analysis but we're going to expand the topics into things that we really couldn't uh, shoehorn into a, a political show plus you can win a dream date with us or with me anyway because <laughs> well, i'm gonna, free bob is taken it's going to be kind of like a dream date <laughs> it's gonna we're be kind of like that. We're gonna be, just... be this. This will be a reference no one will get. We're gonna be like Barry and Levon from the old State Show on MTV. The two guys with like we got two hundred pounds of pudding. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's gonna be coming up in January. So get ready for that. Like I said, win a dream date with Chess. So back to this. Uh... Have, have me fall asleep in your lap and otherwise unsatisfy you. So right and back to this uh, Michael Moore. Uh, thing with uh, Homeland Security and Naomi Wolf and Occupy Wall Street. It's sort of symptomatic of what I consider to be the problem with uh, Occupy Wall Street right now, which is uh, it seems like they're lacking a little bit of focus. Now, I understand that it's a decentralized movement, so there is going to be a little bit of scattered attention. But, you know, I, I think in a certain way they're going after the wrong people and they're, they're focusing on the wrong things. And, uh, you know, with Michael Moore, for example, even though this whole conspiracy theory with Homeland Security has been thoroughly debunked by, and not just by people like angry black lady and Caroli, I'm talking about, you know, I think, uh, alternate, and now Tommy Christopher, 
who used to be a White House reporter, and now he's uh, he's an independent writer. Oh, he actually writes for Mediaite now. For Mediaite. I like Tommy, actually. Yeah. I like the stuff he writes. He's he's generally pretty fair, and uh, he's bitchy as hell, and it's fun to read. Yeah. Well, he, uh, he wrote something about uh, Michael Moore yesterday. Michael Moore evidently tweeted uh, the following. <laughs> Just so frustrating. It's so frustrating. I'll, I'll explain why it's frustrating in a second, but here's the tweet. This double tap of Occupy L.A. and Occupy Philly by our new militarized police force, I'm sure has not been coordinated by anyone in D.C. No way. That was the Michael Moore tweet. Right. That's that's the the um, that's the Greenwald passive aggression. Yeah. Yeah. The snarky, smarmy nonsense. I yeah. That that just irritates the shit out of me. Those things, uh, you know. I know I pick on Greenwald a lot, but those those kind of tweets come out of Greenwald every you know every like two hours on the hour. Well, see, and this is what I was going to mention a second ago. The problem is that people like Glenn Greenwald, Michael Moore. Etc. They have large audiences. They, they have people who will who trust their word, and I think to a certain degree, Michael Moore in particular has earned that trust. But now he's squandering it because he's being dishonest. I mean, let's call it spade a spade. He's being dishonest with this because Rick Ellis has walked back this story. This thing has been debunked for weeks now. And he's still clinging on to it because and, and this is the broader problem here with uh, sort of the the certain members of the progressive left, whatever you want to call them, emo progs or whatever disparaging term has come up. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. and, uh, and and the dividing line between those progressives and people who I consider to be more pragmatic progressives, the, the dividing line here is that. The uh, the firebaggers or whatever you want to call them, they seem just desperate. They they so desperately want this president to turn out to be an evil, anti-progressive uh, villain. And so, whenever something like this happens, even the slightest hint of Barack Obama saying or doing something that could be seen as anti-progressive means that he is out to brutalize and beat up progressives. And in the case of Occupy Wall Street, literally beat them up with batons and pepper spray. And well, this, I mean, this, one this, this of the just, things I, that I, they... I don't... Well, I, just let me finish with just no, one please, thing. Please. I, I just don't... I, I don't understand why they want him to be a bad guy. So much so that they're clinging to all of these ridiculous, unsourced stories. And I'll get to another one in a second, but this is the latest one. What What is motivating them to want this guy to be a bad guy? I don't know. I mean, we've done, we, we've done entire shows about that. Yeah. Whether it's careerism or, or uh, it's just a desire to, you know, the Jonathan Chait sort of, uh, they, they can like... Um, you know, the thing he he uh, put forth in his article there that that I think is true, that that liberals can like uh, an abstract vision of a leader. But once they get it, it's that thing that's ingrained in them that says that they can't support authority automatically kicks in. And there's just got to be something wrong. Yeah. 
if you're not getting everything that you want. And the bottom line is you're not, you know, you've said this, you're not going to get everything you want. You'll never have a president that gives you every single thing you want. The difference is Republicans will rally around somebody based solely on the fact that, well, look, you know, this this guy is in our party. And, you know, I think currently they will. I think there probably was a time when maybe they, they were a little bit more uh, split. But now, you know, look, Republicans are Republican. You know what I keep thinking of is I keep thinking of that scene from uh, from Austin Powers where Scott Powers is saying, uh, you know, I just want to start a petting zoo. And Dr. Evil says, is it an evil petting zoo? Easy. Yeah. Because, uh, that's what, so when they, when, they say, when they hear the president say something, they're instantly jumping to, well, it's got to be an evil petting zoo. And, uh, and, and that seems to be the dynamic here. It's extraordinarily mm-hmm. frustrating and it's counterproductive. I don't know what's behind it, but of course there have been theories. You know, the Jonathan Chait piece, as you mentioned, was uh, did a, an extraordinarily thorough job uh, delving into the psychology. Uh, you know, I also think there's there's an aspect to uh, the motivation in uh, in the need to to hold the establishment accountable. And it, but it's been my theory for. Years now, since I first started having these discussions with like Lee Stranahan when it came to uh, the Rick Warren inaugural debacle, is that we, we have to kind of evaluate who in leadership, who in the establishment can best further our ideas, who can best serve our goals. In this case, I believe. President Obama is in a prime position to, to, to actually adopt some of our goals, and he has. A lot of his policies and a lot of the things he's done have been progressive. Some things, well, they've been kind of borderline, and, and other things have been uh, right of center and disappointing. But predominantly, we're talking about, I would say, in the range of 70 80% of things he's done have been on the progressive liberal side of the political spectrum. And so this guy is, is someone who can help us. So do we want to undermine this president? Do we want to undermine that effort? Because certainly uh, we're not going to be able to do it ourselves, at least in the context of working within the system. I mean, certainly we can be anarchists and we can tear, all, tear down the system and then we can ride away on our unicorns because it's just right. not going to happen. And then, you get, and then you get absolutely nothing you want. Nothing. Yeah. Then you're then you're a freaking child on a playground. Congratulations. You just kicked the sandcastle over. (laughs) Now what? But so the only option here for us is to work within the system. And the system is the one that has been set up for 250 years now where there's there's a government and there's three branches co-equal. And we you know, we get them to do things that we want them to do. How do we do that? We hold them accountable. We push our ideas on them. Is there anything about this guy that says screeching at him and calling him evil and saying that he wants to beat up and bloody the Occupy Wall Street movement? How is that going to help us? How is it going to help us if everyone who listens to these conspiracy theories decides, you know what, screw this guy, this president. I'm staying home or I'm going to vote for a third party. You know, Roseanne Barr might be the Green Party candidate. Excellent. We'll get to her in Perfect. a second. <laughs> we'll get to her in a second because she was in the mix of all of this over the weekend. Thank so, God. So now, so what do because so, Because really it didn't seem cartoonish enough as it was. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. 
She was uh, Roseanne. Just I want to knock this out real quick. Roseanne was uh, referring to you know Shock and Caroli and all of those guys as being uh, Soros shills and <laughs> and being uh, banker whores. Right. You know? And uh, and so she got oh DVNIX DVNIX that guy too on Twitter. Right. Yeah. And they're all sort of the centerpieces of the sort of the pragmatic progressives. You called them the Powerpuff Girls. Sorry. I've just been watching a lot of it. What do you want? I, I love the Powerpuff Girls. Uh, that's right. They're great. Um, but so, so, that, so Roseanne was getting into it with them and back and forth. And, and she's just way off the deep end. She didn't even know Roseanne what Roseanne was Roseanne was getting into it with them? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, she wow, was. She was debating. Aren't uh, they special? She was trying to tell DVNIX, which forgive me, I don't know if that's if there's supposed to be a special pronunciation of that Twitter handle, DVNIX. I I don't know, but I, I correspond with him too. Regardless, uh, you know they were they had an extensive. He's the one who's got the picture that looks like Gordon Freeman of half from Half Life. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I think so. Right. Uh, so they were going back and forth, and at one point she said to him that uh, the president was trying to. Uh, or sign, that the president signed a bill to crack down on whistleblowers, which, of course, is bullshit. Right. He's, he signed no such thing. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, in fact, there were, there's legislation that, that came up in September, which the president supports, that actually helps whistleblowers, especially whistleblowers at the government level and on an international stage as well, because then there are other, it's a U.N. effort, too, and. Other nations are trying to uh, make a, you know, a more transparent governments, and so therefore they're, you know, they want to add certain protections for whistleblowers, et cetera, et cetera. So the president's all for, you know, whistleblowers, but you know, there's, there's this opposite day idea happening on the left too. That's kind nothing of, is more dangerous than someone from Hollywood with an ego and an opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, so my point in all of this, and this is why this really fires me up, because, look, I disagree with the president on a bunch of stuff. And I'm not just saying that to to sort of I'm with you guys and I'm right there with you. I'm not trying to make any friends here by saying that. I'm just qualifying my statements and saying, you know what, I'm trying to look at the big picture here. And the big picture that I keep referencing is the year 2000, where, you know, we were doing the same rondelay of dissent and. You know, we ended up pushing, putting all, all of our support behind Ralph Nader. And then Ralph Nader takes a lot of votes away from Al Gore. And what happens? Yeah, I, I have a, I'm a really big fan of the people who, and I get this all the time, because I'm, I'm constantly the same way you are. I'm talking on the blog a lot about smart accountability and, and how you have, two of my favorite words, political reality. You have to accept political reality. And political reality is that right now, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but if you really, really beat up on Obama for no good reason, if you, if you, you know, if you've, I've had problems with him too, but if you're, if you just screech and howl and, and make, really make a career out of criticizing him for every little goddamn thing, the only people you're helping are the Republicans yeah. who really are his competition and his competition are vastly different than he is vastly different and only an idiot would think otherwise so you can get some of what you want or you can get none of what you want and there are a lot of people who always come back and they say things like well you know that's a choice i just don't accept you know that we only have two choices and that we have to settle for it and that obama's the right choice because well he's not a republican i'm like i don't give a crap whether you accept that choice or not that's your choice that is your choice that's reality 
Everything else, none of it matters. That is that is the reality you are presented with. That's right. That you basically, essentially, have two choices right now. Because if you try to nominate a third-party candidate, they're going to take votes away. You're going to lose. You're going to get a Republican. Yeah. Um, you know, you, th- this is this is the way it is. And I'm sorry, but it's – you know, you want to go round and round about it. You want to deny, deny and, and say – put your fingers in your ears and stomp your freaking feet and say, well, I don't accept that. It doesn't matter one, one single bit. It is not going to change reality. And it's all well and good too. And I, I think this was a discussion I had with Greenwald uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's – Greenwald is more on the track of wanting to change the system from outside the system. He doesn't want to work within the system. He doesn't want to work with, you know, uh, by convincing members of Congress or convincing the White House. He wants to dismantle from the outside. So, of course, this is also, you know, why he supports Occupy Wall Street, because on, on certain factions of the Occupy movement, they're for the same thing. They're for the same kind of process of dismantling from the outside. Uh my question always when that comes up is at what expense? You know, we're at a – with all of these presidential elections, the future of so many things hang in the balance. And let's boil it all down to uh, – so we're going to dismantle the, the system. We're going to discourage people from supporting the president. Who cares if, if Romney or Gingrich wins the presidency? We're in it for the long haul. But to me, that, that misses the all, true. that misses all the intermediary disasters that will take place. One right. of them being and, the- and Greenwald has said flat out that you know that he's willing to sort of allow the country. This is where I I say this is where I brought up the fact that he spends a lot of his time in Brazil. Is you know he, he basically has said flat out you know I'll allow the country to take the hit. It's worth it for like you said the greater good the long haul. It's mm-hmm. like yeah well you're not here for a lot of the time yeah. and. That the hit that this country would take by allowing someone like, you know, a Newt Gingrich or a Rick Perry or somebody like that to become president would is fucking unthinkable. Think about uh, think about it in terms of this. The Supreme Court. Think about what will happen with a Republican president who, by the way, will roll back everything that the president has done. President Romney or Gingrich doesn't matter. They'll roll back everything. Healthcare reform, all the uh, stem cell research, S chip, everything this president has done will be rolled back and undone. But think about the Supreme Court. These guys will have will have the power to stack the Supreme Court with conservatives for a generation to swing the balance. And I'm speaking. I'm talking about reproductive rights here. I'm talking about uh, civil liberties. Uh, I'm talking about. Uh, uh, campaign finance this is this country is going to hell if a republican wins next year i don't mean to be entirely alarmist about it but yeah let's be alarmist about it we just got to be smart about this push your agenda all you want make a case against predator drones make your case against indefinite detention but don't discourage people from supporting someone who can make a difference, who can move the debate to the left, who can move government and policymaking to the left. And that is this guy. That is this guy who everyone's, or a lot of people, too many people, are comparing to being a conservative or being uh, the the next coming of Reagan or Bush. 
Absolutely absurd. Absolutely counterproductive. Be constructive with your criticism. Just don't shoot yourself in the foot. And that's a, that's what it comes down to. That's the, that's the whole thing. We're doing another whole show about this. I didn't think we would, but we are. Well, you know, <laughs> we didn't come in with a plan tonight anyway. Yeah. Just broken computers I, and no plan. Broken computers and just this frantic mad dash to find a place to effing live, for God's sake. Ah. But this is, you know, it's a lot of events to cover over the, just the past few days. Just this, uh, this, this battle, this inside battle. Progressivism. Today's show brought to you, as always, by BubbleGenius.com. Pure products, pure genius, Bubble Genius. It's my favorite soap. My all soap, bath, and body products. And they're funny, too. There's funny stuff in there, too. Great stocking stuffers and things to buy for the holidays as well. And they're independent and liberal. So support your independent and liberal businesses. And, uh, and, and do so for the holidays. Send a message to uh, corporations that you're not going to buy their crap. You're going to buy stuff from uh, small businesses, independent businesses. That's the way to do it. You know, don't go from your uh, Occupy Wall Street rally into uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. Open up your... You know, Computer and look at a bubblegenius.com. Here's the latest Bernice, how nice to see you. It's been a long time since we had a kibitz. Tessie, what a Misha Gus. I've been schlepping all over town today. We'll take a load off. Sit you took us down and tell. You know, I like to get nice Yiddish gifts for the family and the yeshiva. I like to get something good for the raffle. You're a good woman, Bernice. Irving, he has no idea. You're too good for him. Eh, he tries. Anyway, I went everywhere today. And Bupkis, I don't want to kvetch, but where are the nice gifts for us Jews? So I'm the expert. You schlep from store to store. You don't see me first? Here, have a nice glass tea. Thanks, Tessie. Hey, what is this? Soap? You bet, Bernice. Would you like a few bagels to nosh on? Oh, my God. It's a soap bagel. It smells like a bagel. Something a little more traditional, maybe? Ugh, a manora soap. And a star of David. So elegant. What is this magic you're showing me? It's a company called Bubble Genius. Genius is right. What else do they have? Ugh, this would clean the schmutz off the nieces and nephews and they'd enjoy it. Abyssal mat soap? And matzo soap. You can break it apart. Good for Bubby. She likes breaking things into small pieces. She still uses one piece of toilet paper when she goes. And these geniuses, they put this all beautiful in a basket. Super Jew, it's called. It's to die for. Perfect for the yeshiva. And you can buy online, so no schlepping. Tessie, I'm so happy I could plot. Bubble genius. I'm verklempt. We got Jew covered. BubbleGenius.com. Such a blessing. The Bubble Genius Bob and Chez Show. That's the name of the show. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Abra- Abraham Foxman and the Mossad are going to kill those two. <laughs> Your promo code is uh, Bob and Chez, B-O-B-A-N-D-C-H-E-Z, for 15% off your entire order. And also make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Listen to the show on Stitcher.com. And, I'll be uh, in L.A. beginning next month for a few months, so I'll have to hang out with the Bubble Genius uh, ladies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe they can join you, and then we could have them on during the show. That would be interesting. 
you can also listen to the show on DeusXMalcontent.com. You can listen to it yeah. at BobSesco.com. You can listen to it at uh, HuffingtonPost.com. The, uh, the the show is uh, is growing. It's like we're like Godzilla of podcasts. You can listen to it everywhere. <laughs> it will it'll crush your house. We're like we're like Ebola, the Ebola we're like the Ebola virus. Uh, we're like the Mataba virus from out. Mataba, that's right. Yeah, the whole thing comes from a monkey. <laughs> and uh, and Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> Patrick Dempsey. Right. I always knew Patrick Dempsey was uh, was contagious. <laughs> It's only a matter of time. You know this from firsthand information? Uh, no. You know, actually, I did um, – wow, totally off subject. I, I, I had this weird hatred for him for like a long time and people who re- <laughs> read the blog um, for long enough probably understood that I had like some sort of weird bug up my ass about Patrick Dempsey and it actually came from the fact that I had an ex-girlfriend a long time ago who was just madly in love with him and thought he was the greatest thing ever. And, of course, I used to joke. I'm like, that's the kid from Can't Buy Me Love, right? She's like, oh, no, but have you seen him? Oh, he's, he's really great looking. I just, so for some reason, I just I kept that. You know, I, I nurtured that uh, that hatred, that seething rage that I had against Patrick Dempsey. Yeah. And uh, and it, would, it will come out on the blog every once in a blue moon. I'll just insult him for absolutely no good reason because, I mean, that was – that girlfriend was easily like five heartbreaks ago. <laughs> yeah, you see, you're not even thinking of Rene Russo or Dustin Hoffman or uh, Kevin oh, Spacey. Oh, no, no. I'm, think- I'm just thinking of uh, the Patrick Monkey Boy in yeah. that, who died. For the two minutes he's in the movie. For the two minutes he's in the movie, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was a really, that was an average movie. I told you I saw Contagion, which I thought was, was very, very good. Also excellent because uh, kind of like Patrick Dempsey dying quickly, Gwyneth Paltrow killed in the first five minutes. There you go. Loved every second of that. All you have to do is read that freaking website of hers for like five seconds and, you know, two or three sentences of that and you will long to see her die painfully too. God. Yeah, I, you know, I always remember Gwyneth Paltrow from a, a – uh, uh, who's the guy who hosts Red Eye on Fox? Who's that guy? Oh, uh, Gutfeld? Yeah, Greg Gutfeld made a funny joke on the Huffington Post. Greg Gutfeld never says anything funny except for this one thing. Uh, he said uh, – and this was actually on the Huffington Post, which I thought was kind of ballsy of him. This is when he was blogging for the Huffington Post. He said uh, he was <laughs> speaking in, in uh, sort of paraphrasing Ariana Huffington. And he said, uh, he said I'm in favor of, a, of uh, fair pay for a day's work. Maybe I'll get Gwyneth Paltrow to blog about it for free. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, Gutfeld's actually funny. I disagree with his politics, but he's he's definitely Andy Levy, especially on that show, is really funny. I mean, they've they've got their moments um, on Red Eye, and I'm I I I guess I kind of like the reason I got in, into them to begin with. Why well, I guess I kind of give them a break a little bit is that they're really good friends with uh, Drew Curtis from Fark.com, and Drew's a oh, friend yeah. of mine, and so he talks he talks them up quite a bit. Well, Drew's great. I, you know, I my problem with Gutfeld is he's just he's a he's a son of a bitch. <laughs> I have no, yes. I mean, he's, he, he can really, uh, he was, and, and you know what? He and I got into it quite extensively back when he was at the Huffington Post. Really? Yeah. Cause he had some issue with my, uh, my little, uh, my little mini photo. Right. But, uh, and so that precipitated a, a battle between he and I. So I Weird. Just sort of, yeah. So I just sort of ignore anything Gutfeld said, but that's one thing that I remember. That's the, the mm. Gwyneth Paltrow thing I remember. Anyway, yeah. uh, so, you know, we were talking about progressives and, uh, and the president. And uh, again, which we've done quite a bit lately, 
but I think here's, here's another thing that I want to tack on to the end of this in terms of looking at the big picture. I, I think what a lot of politicians, uh, regardless of where they are in their career, are looking for trends. And what we want to do as a progressive movement is to make it safe for these politicians to vote for progressive things or to take progressive postures on certain issues, Very true. Re- regardless of where they are in their district or their state or if they're running for president on a national level. And if, if, if a president like Barack Obama, who is arguably the most liberal president we have had since FDR, uh, is, is, if it's not safe for him to govern from the left side of the uh, ideological spectrum, then it's going to be more challenging to get other politicians to vote that way. But if we make it safe for him, if, we, if the progressive movement gets behind this guy and we can kind of bury some of our differences or you know, make a case for our differences but doing it in a, doing it in a constructive way, this guy gets reelected – uh, and uh, that right there makes it easier for the next Democratic president to govern from the left. Otherwise, what's going to happen is we make it difficult for this guy. He loses in 2012, and then the next Democratic candidate uh, has to run to the center because it's the only safe haven for them. And so the whole movement gets rolled back. And here we have a guy who, policy aside, in several occasions, in several major speeches, some of them to joint sessions of Congress, has made a case for government. In stark contrast, in an entire generation, for 30 years, government has been an evildoer. Since the Reagan Revolution, since the Reagan declared war on the middle class, since Reagan started to say that government is the problem. That has been the thing, regardless of your party. Democrats like Bill Clinton, the year of big government is over, have, have been saying this and repeating this idea. Barack Obama is the first guy on the national stage to say the opposite. Government can be a force for good. He did it in his uh, American Jobs address. He did it in his health care address. He did it in a, a commencement address. I forget which university it was back in the spring. This is what this guy believes. And if we make it safe for him to believe that, other politicians will follow suit. Other presidential candidates on the Democratic side, specifically, will follow suit. But if we make it difficult for them, then that's it. Then that's it. We go back to sort of Clintonian centrism. Some will argue, well, uh, Barack Obama is centrist. No, he's not. No, he's not. Look at his accomplishments. They're liberal. And look at the things that he said. They're liberal. I made a knocking noise on my desk. It's making the dog bark. But anyway, so like for example, the president did not try to kill the was public. That, was, I'm sorry. Was that, was that your code to get them to bomb Pearl Harbor again? I made <laughs> yeah. a knocking no- to, to the to the Japanese out there. I made a knocking noise on my desk. It made the dog bark. Was well, see, if the show the, was was video, the you chair would... is against the wall. Yeah. John has a long mustache. <laughs> Jonathan Bernstein wrote a piece uh, for the Plum Line, Greg Sargent's blog. In which he entirely debunked this thing that was that's going around, and it's probably still going. The liberals are probably still saying this, but he he totally debunked the thing about the president cutting a secret deal to kill the public option, 
turned out to be yeah, utter I, I saw you bullshit. post that. Yeah. This is from, uh, from a couple of weeks ago. We didn't talk about it uh, on the previous show. But uh, no, the question is no. The president did not do that. The reason the public option died is because the conservative Dems and the Republicans refused to vote for it. There were just not enough votes to pass uh, the Affordable Care Act with a public option in there. That's why it died. The president was all for the public option. You know, the public option wouldn't even have existed if the president had been talking about it during the campaign. You know, certainly, well, yeah, the public option would exist, but I'm talking about in terms of the discourse, in terms of discussion, and in terms of the proposal for health care reform. You're just an Obama apologist. I'm just an Obama apologist, yeah. He, so, he sold us out. I know because my ass told me that. Yeah, when I, when I got pissed off about Rick Warren during the inaugural, that, that was me being an Obama apologist. When I ripped into the president for, for, uh, for this debt deal, this debt ceiling deal, and talking about how uh, we need to start focusing on deficit reduction, which we shouldn't be right now, that makes me an Obama bot, right? Right. And letting the, uh, uh, you know, Frank Rich's very brilliant point about original sin in the Obama administration, you know, letting Wall Street essentially off the hook. Yeah. That to me, that to me was the unforgivable thing. That was the one thing that I that, you know, that 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 one really pissed me off. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's that. There's the, just a variety of things that I, I don't agree with the president about. I'm just I'm not willing to say that this guy is evil because I disagree with him on a few things. What I'd rather do is on those areas, I'd rather make a case for the policy that I think is the right policy, that we ought to be spending more and not cutting the deficit now. We ought to be short-term spending and long-term deficit reduction. Even, the t- even talking about deficit reduction right now is not productive because we ought to be talking about more stimulus. It's just not happening. So anyway. Mm. But, of course, I'm just saying that, right? I'm just saying that so I'm not seen as an Obama bot. That's wrong. That's just the whole thing is just getting to the point of being ridiculous. Because now, now we've got conspiracy theories and – People talking, you know, comparing Michael Moore to Orly Tate's. It's yeah, just, that, and that's, and that is unfortunate. Yeah, it's just not helping. But what? But will, Moore, you know, with the exception of Sicko, which I loved, which I thought honestly across the board was fantastic, and yes. I think one of the reasons why is, is two reasons. First of all, because that was the one movie that he made where he wisely actually kept a lot of his sort of snark out of it, mm-hmm. and and he also talked about a subject that look the right's going to hate him regardless but he talked about a subject that i really looked at and i thought this goes way beyond party lines i think ev- everybody should to some extent be able to acknowledge that our healthcare system is screwed up yeah. um so i mean i was a really big fan of sicko but all the other movies that he's done i'm look you know i pat him on the back for doing them and th- there are always moments of them that i'm like shit yeah and there are always always moments where i'm like mm, no he went too far for me you know, he said something that I, that I disagree with. Doesn't mean I don't like the guy. Um, doesn't mean I don't think he has a, a you know should have a place at the table to speak. But yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I don't know. There are moments when I when I really when I when I want to love Michael more more, and I just haven't been able to. So, you know, this for me doesn't seem like that big of a letdown. Yeah. So, right. And, you know, Sicko, I thought was great. Uh, I actually really like Bowling for Columbine, too. I thought Bowling for Columbine. I mean, talk about the talk about balls. The guy the guy went in there with 
you know, a Columbine shooting victim went into the Kmart headquarters to return the bullets that were in the guy's body. It was ballsy. <laughs> and, uh, of course, Roger and me was really good. You know, and, I, you know, I really liked his, uh, his TV series. He did two TV shows. One was called TV Nation, and the other one's called The Awful Truth. The Awful Truth, yeah. But, I mean, so here, here's a guy who's spent decades building up a trust and an admiration amongst progressives. And so, therefore, I think he has a responsibility to the truth. And he has a responsibility to deliver to us or to people who pay attention to him uh, things that are, are grounded in reality. Because, you know, one of the reasons why I'm sure you like Sicko and so many people also regard Sicko as being his finest movie is because it was so steeped in the truth. I mean, this the health care reform issue, he, it was almost like he could have just – I mean, that movie could have made itself – because exactly. it, you don't need to search or reach very far to get to the nugget of the injustice of the American healthcare system. And so he tapped into that. And it was so well grounded in reality and in honesty and in sort of just visceral angst over this very real and critical issue in America. And, I and think that, you're right, though. He, ha- he has a responsibility. And more than that, he, you know, as someone who understands the media, he should know. Uh, as well as anybody, if not better than anybody, that all it takes is one really idiotic thing, you know, conspiracist type thing to say, like what he's doing right now, to really blow all the sort of good faith that people are willing to give you. Yeah. And uh, just to wrap up this conversation uh, about Michael Moore, uh, going back to the year 2000, Moore endorsed Ralph Nader. And, And you know what? Moore's endorsement of Ralph Nader went a long way to making up my mind when I was in that voting booth, think looking at Gore, looking at Bush. Oh, there's no way I was going to vote for Bush. But looking at Gore and looking at Nader and ultimately pressing the button for, for Nader. The worst decision, at least in the world of politics, that I have ever, ever made. I regretted that within 24 hours. After it was, the, the election became a toss-up, I was like, what the hell did I do? But you know mm. what? It was, it was like, oh, you know what? Mm. Michael Moore's making sense about this guy. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't vote for Al Gore. <laughs> Un- unbelievable. That is, that's why I'm talking about all this stuff. That's why I, I'm, I get so angry when, when we can't see the forest for the trees here. You're you're like somebody somebody who got into a drunk driving accident and killed somebody, and now you're being forced to go around to high schools and talk to talk to high school students. Don't do <laughs> what exactly I did, right. or else you'll be living in a van down, down by the river. By the river. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like a motivational speaker, right? Yep. I spent 20 years of my life living in filth and sucking down crystal meth like Coca Cola. Don't you become like me. They're going to bring progressives in one at a time into your prison cell so you can scare them straight. <laughs> scare them straight, that's right. That is too good. I mean, there's some truth to it. I... You want to get raped by Newt Gingrich? <laughs> oh, my God. It's just, we're, we're at a tipping point here. I mean, we either get our shit together... As a movement, or else it's, you know, we're, it's going to be another 20 years before we have another guy this liberal in the White House. 
Uh, the uh, Bob and Chez Show After Party, beginning in January, this coming up January. Stand by for action. Uh, it's going to be uh, affordable. I think it's going to be like a, all told, it's going to be like a dollar a show. And it's going to be worth it because we're going to get really, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into all of the juicy topics that we don't, uh, we don't get to talk about on the political show. And speaking of the political show, this year's show, the Bubble Genius Bob and Chez Show, expanding horizons by the week. We are sp- <laughs> spreading throughout the world like the goddamn Ebola virus. <laughs> so, uh, get ready. Get your gas mask. Yeah, that's right. Meanwhile, I uh, I hope that uh, January, when the after party show begins, that I won't be doing it from a tent. I'm sure you'll be fine. I know we'll be fine. Just tell them who you are. Just just praying to the gods of uh, of uh, Craigslist rentals <laughs> to find a place to live. You can find great underage hookers on Craigslist. Uh, I know because I saw that on CNN. Never been like this. Four weeks to go, and I, man, I won't have a place to live in four weeks if I don't find something. You'll be all right. It's terrifying. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Drive safely, and we'll see you next week, Jess. See you. A pretty, a pretty, a pretty goose for you, and a pretty racing car. <laughs>